0: Welcome to Thrive, Building Resilient Families, Austin Child Guidance Center's first ever podcast. This podcast was created to normalize the challenges of parenthood and to provide parents and caregivers with strategies and support in their efforts to help their children to thrive in childhood and beyond. I'm Kristen Pierce-Freake, the Executive Director of ACGC, and I'd like to introduce today's guest, Chaz Moore. Chaz Moore is an acclaimed activist and community organizer who has dedicated his life to helping BIPOC impoverished communities and those that suffer the brunt of systemic institutional oppression. As the executive director and founder of Austin Justice Coalition, Chaz has helped AJC lead many local reform efforts. His tenacity has garnered much recognition, including multiple awards, such as the 2019 Nathan Cummings Foundation Fellowship and the 2019 Unlocked Futures cohort backed by Academy Award-winning artist, John Legend. Before devoting his work full-time to the creation and growth of the Austin Justice Coalition, Chaz served as a student activist fighting many social issues at the University of Texas at Austin and the rest of the Austin community. Great to hear from you today, Chaz.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: So I want to just kind of jump in. Can you tell us a little bit more about yourself? How did you find yourself... Uh,
1: doing the kind of work that you do today. Um, yes. Yeah, so, so uh, I'm originally from Houston. I was raised by my grandparents, so I had a very um, keen sense of of, of, of of an understanding of the world around me, as far as you know, being a, a young black man in the South. Um, and with with some of my own personal stuff, you know, I was um, I got into some trouble in high school um and and a judge literally told me he wanted to teach me a lesson and um gave me a a a, a, a sentence that at the time i thought was um fair because I, I you know i did believe that i was hanging around the wrong people and he was trying to discourage me from doing that um but that led to me understanding very quickly the collateral consequences of being labeled um, a felon and all the things that come with um, trying to operate life um with, with a criminal background um so so you mix that with the fact that um i was raised with my grandparents and also you know uh, i was a uh, i was lucky enough to go to the university of texas um which introduced me to a, a brand new world um because again i'm from houston and i didn't really have to interact with so many different um, cultures and and backgrounds and ethnicities so um you know, it was my own experiences with racism, whether it was micro or macro at the University of Texas, um, that that kind of pushed me to to this idea that, man, we still have a lot more work to do um, to get to the society and the world that I think we all um, deserve. Um, and then, you know, fast forward and I'm kind of giving you the back of the book um, version, but, um, you know, fast forward to. Um, Trayvon Martin, and the the resurgence of the you know the creation of Black Lives Matter. Um, just really wanted to jump in and and do as much as I could um, to to make sure we can create a, a fair and equitable and equal world for all. So, um, it, it's it's been a lot of my own personal experiences um, that have led me to to become the social justice advocate that I am today
0: okay great so i'm assuming that a lot of these personal experiences are kind of what led to the creation of the austin justice austin justice coalition um and sounds like there's probably some of the answer within what you just said but what motivated you to create kind of like a formal coalition a formal entity to support your work with uh um activism and um pursuing the kind of um sorry, I'm finding, I'm losing my words, but kind of pers- pursuing some of the social justice concerns that you had.
1: Yeah, um, I, I, saw, I saw there was a, a need for um, a space where young folks um, of all backgrounds, sexual orientations, walks of life um, could come and organize. You know, I, I, back then I tried to organize, um, I, I tried to solicit the help of like the NAACP and, you know, those traditional organizations and while I can appreciate the work and the type of work they do. Um, I saw that the way young folks at that time, I mean, and even, and, and, and even today approach um, this work of creating a better world for everybody is, is a little bit different, right? So I wanted to create that space to make sure young folks and folks that are not um, in those traditional spaces, um, at least in a, in, a, in a healthy and safe way, could come and be a part of a collective of people and communities um, fighting for a better world. So, you know, really, really just a, 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 like there was a need to have a space where young folks can fight the way they wanted to fight um, without, you know, repercussion or harm. Um, I, I think it was a, a huge motivator um, and factor in, in why AJC was created and, and, and why we do what we do.
0: Okay. So, you know, I know that the Austin Justice Coalition has a lot of projects and in initiatives that specifically work on com- combating social or excuse me, systemic racism. You know, I guess for those who don't really know what systemic racism is, could you kind of describe or define it?
1: Um, I, I can try my best. <laughs> um, <'cause laughs> okay. it's 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 a, it's a it's a tricky thing, you know. Um, it, it's not something that's readily available to the eye, Um, but, you know, systemic racism is, is, in my opinion, um, forms of oppression um, and and discrimination through systems and institutions that that block the progress or the quality of life for people of color, women, um, folks that are typically in the margins, right? So um, when you think about public um, education systems, right, like why is it that kids of color seem to be suspended or expelled more for the same or less um, egregious um, behavioral conduct than their white counterparts, right? Like, why is it that um, African-Americans only make up 13 to 14% of the U.S. population, but we, we still make a, a pretty large number, about 40 to 50% of the prison population, right? And, and like that, that leads us to believe that there's some, some cultural biases, some, some, some systemic biases that um, really, really, you know, factor in why people of color, BIPOC people um, tend to get the short end of the stick in, in those particular systems. And not just those housing, banking, um, you know, workplace discrimination. There are so many um, instances where when you really peel back the layers of certain institutions, you see that all people are not created equal and all people are not created uh, um, created equally. So, um, you know, really addressing that is key to make sure that when Black women, Black men, Black queer folks, queer folks of color go to work, that they can expect the same um, treatment that their white counterparts are. Their counterparts with more resources um, 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 also have. You know, and uh, and I, I think it's I think it's really critical to our progression as a society. To level the playing field in every institution we have, because we see um, and we feel um, these, these systemic um, inequities really playing a, a, a large part in the quality of lives for um, you know minority communities, whether that's through race or sexual orientation um, or gender. Um, and it, and again, you know, like we really just think it's important to address them, talk about them. And try to transform and change these systems so everybody can thrive and benefit
0: so you know what's your response to kind of like the bootstrapping argument you know there's a lot of folks will say well people are in these people of color or other marginalized groups it's because they don't work as hard because they don't have you know the right education because they're you know not doing the things that one needs to do to be successful or to get ahead or to have these opportunities
1: um, well, you know, I, I think it's always interesting when people um, bring up that, that that old adage, right? Like, stuff about <laughs> right. of bootstraps. Um, and and you know, like, well, what like, do you do what? if you don't have boots? Yeah, right. Like, like, like we, like we live in a country where, um, you know, at least black people, because I feel comfortable talking from that perspective, uh, we, we we literally came over here with with no boots. Like, like literally, like not not just metaphorically. We literally came over here with with chains and. And and barely any clothing, if any at all. Um, so you know, like that's that's one thing. Like so, the, the, like just flat out, we we literally came over here without um, little to anything, and then we had to learn and and find a way to to, to survive this very oppressive um, system and, and and new home um, being America that 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 we're not placed in. Um, and then also, like when you look at at, at the landscape, like there are. Quite literally, laws and policies um, that prohibited and still prohibit Black folks, um, in particular, from being recognized as, as full citizens, full humans in in the American context. Right? Like there were laws that dictated that um, Black folks were three-fifths human. Right? Um, right. Like there were yep. there were laws that said Black folks, um, you know, were were to be enslaved. They could not be citizens of of, of the democracy of America. Um, there were laws that said um black folks couldn't get um the you know funding to get housing through the banking system so um you know I I always find it quite interesting when people say pull yourself up um, by the bootstraps because um the, the the bootstraps that were handed out were not handed out um one equitably to everybody and and they and they for sure weren't handed out to everybody in the first place so um I I think I think that's one thing and then also you know, I, I think we also have to talk about the quality of the bootstraps once people get them right. You look at um, abolition of slavery and and, and one could argue um, that that now this is a chance for uh, African-Americans to um, not only obtain their bootstraps, but to tie them up and, and go on and live the quote unquote American dream. Um, but one could also argue that those particular pair of boots uh, are, 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 you know, whatever you want to call them that were handed to black folks were a old dusty pair with like holes in them. You know what I mean? Like it, it's kind of, it's kind of equivalent to, um, this study that happened years ago. I want to say at North Carolina, um, university, I, I probably got that wrong to where they did a, um, experiment where they had two black students and two white students play the game of Monopoly. Um, and, and they did not allow, um, the white students to enter the game until like an hour or two hours later. And of course, at this time, the black students have had made their way around the Monopoly board and bought off all the property. And um, the white kids complained that, man, you know, this is really unfair. Like everything we land on, we're paying, we can't buy anything. Um, and it, it's quite similar to that, you know, like after everything that black folks and people of color have been through, um, and, and after all the resources have been um, depleted and, and actually built upon the backs of, um, you know, the cotton system in which black folks did all the labor and white America reaped all the benefits, you know, it, it, it's kind of hard to then lace up your bootstraps and equitably, um, um, you know, like man the field, you know, like we, like we're still catching up from centuries ago, right? Like, like it, it, it's one thing to say I'm free, but it's it's another thing to like actually understand that I'm free into the wilderness of of nothing. Um uh, like you you know, like the, the all the all the all the wealth and resources from um the chattel slavery system that is American slavery, um in which African Americans were enslaved, has been passed down from generation to generation of white Americans that are able to um live very comfortably because of um, maybe not their own racist ideologies, right? Because I, I, I do think there are far more good white people in the world now than there was 50, 100, 200 years ago. Um, but they they still are reaping the benefits of their ancestors that reap the benefits of, of of again that that very oppressive system that was that was slavery.
0: Sure. Well, I will add, I guess, just from a mental health perspective, that for many years in the the DSM, which is the diagnostic manual from which mental health, um, um, labels and are, are, that's where they live. That's sort of like the Bible for, um, diagnoses, you know, for a long time, um, it was considered mental illness to sort of want to run away from your slave owner. Um, you know, you mentioned other marginalized groups, you know, for a long time, homosexuality was a mental, was considered a mental illness. Uh, and that's only very recently been removed from some of these documents. So it's to your point about these things kind of being part of other systems, right? If someone is pathologizing you because you want to run away from an oppressor or if someone is pathologizing you because you love, you know, you're attracted to men and not women uh, or whatever the case may be. Um yeah. I think these are sort of obviously additional barriers and you know as as i'm a mental health professional and austin child guidance center is a mental health organization i'm curious from your perspective especially today where there's obviously i mean what happened in upstate new york just a couple of days ago and just a rash of um hate crimes and police violence and you know from your perspective you know how do You and your peers address the sort of mental health concerns or the emotional concerns um, or implications of either witnessing these experiences, even if you're witnessing them on television. I mean, it's still very traumatic or kind of, you know, in person or even listening to some of the stories or experience of, of peers and friends or family. How do you how do you how do you and how do you kind of communicate with some of your peers about how to address the the emotional fallout?
1: Yeah, you know, so 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 one thing we do um, is we definitely encourage, um, you know, Black folks and, and folks of color um, to to really lean into this new um, appreciation for mental health well-being, right? Like, um, th- th- there has been a stigma in the Black community to where if you go see a therapist or a psychiatrist, um, that you are not well and you would kind of, you know, like labeled other um, but but I, I am thankful that um, there has been a a wave of, of acceptance to people checking in and leaning into their own mental health. So we definitely encourage that. Um, that's something I personally encourage. Um, over the years, I have leaned into therapy and, um, you know, self-care and making sure that I'm okay so I can be the best community leader or spokesperson for the community at times um, that I can be. Um, so that's one aspect. And then, and then, um, something we try to do is is counter um, the the heaviness of the world with um, providing spaces for black folks to um, just, you know, be in spaces of joy, right? Like everything doesn't have to be a march or rally where we're addressing the current events of um, the the status quo of this world. Sometimes we just need to have um, black parties, or art shows like we have coming up are um, you know, just just expressions of joy to let people know, like, yes, we know racism and microaggressions and macroaggressions happen on a daily basis. Um, but but we can um, still show up in a world in a way that ex- expresses joy and happiness and, and 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 um, dare I say, euphoria by leaning into arts and culture um, and food and things of that nature. So, you know, th- th- there are a lot of things we do to um a, a address the, the, the mental health of the black community, but also just promote happiness and joy, whether that's do events, posting on social media, something just light and happy, um, or actually creating spaces where folks can come and vent and talk about whatever they need to talk about. So, um, and you know, there's, there's so much more that we can do, but um, like we're, we're definitely leaning into that more as an organization as, and as individuals within an organization um, to make sure we're good and to make sure our community is good as well.
0: I mean, that's really important. I'm happy to hear that because I think in anything, you need to have balance. So if, to your point, if you're only marching and protesting and you're not recognizing the resiliency of your community and just sort of the benefits that were, you know, just the joys that come with everyday life, it's important. You mentioned, you know, some upcoming events. What kinds of, what are you guys working on? And what kinds of things do you have coming up?
1: um so so actually um today um uh, you know the 18th uh we have um an event um to address and to really just hold space for what happened in buffalo new york this weekend Mm -hmm. um and you know i'm gonna gonna give an address to the community about um what that feels like and 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 how we can hopefully move forward as a community both here and abroad um but on a lighter note we also have um, on May 28th, we have uh, May 27th and May 28th. It's a two-day event this year. Our annual Black Art Matters art show um, that was postponed for two years because of COVID, um, and I can I can now legally say um, because we find we signed all the paperwork that we have um, the one and only Angela Davis coming. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know to have Angela Davis come to a community event uh, where she's typically around you know academia and Um, and we know how hard the university of Texas and some of those spaces are, um, hard to access for community. Like she's going to be here at the, at the wheel of the, um, like right in the, in the thick of the community. And I, I, you know, I think it's dope for, um, all generations of, in all walks of life to be able to be in that space with her. So, um, I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. My team has put so much time and effort into it. Um, and then, and then after that, um, the thing that I know we have is bro brunch, um, Ro Brunch is this new program we started. It's a brunch for black men uh, because, you know, um, women, um, especially black women, but women of all races have, uh, you know, these spaces where they can come and um, uh, do a multitude of things. Right. I I joke and say that black women have parties for like makeup and breakups and graduations and firings and hirings. um, And we as black men really need to start um, creating those spaces where we can come and build community with one another and hold one another accountable. So Bro Brunch is um, June 12th um, and I'm, I'm looking forward to that. So, you know, we, we have we have some pretty dope stuff coming up.
0: That sounds really exciting. And I hope that you'll give us the dates and the information so that we can include it when we post uh, this podcast. But, you know, related to what you were talking about in terms of the way that women relate with one another versus men, you know, there's a lot of research about that. I think that's true of women, all women and all men. Um, And I think that uh, what this bro brunch, I think is a great idea. I think that um, certainly in communities of color, I think the stigma around mental health and kind of sharing in general is higher than in the uh, general population. Um, I think often men, if you see kind of groups of men sitting together, they're usually sitting shoulder to shoulder side by side. Whereas if you see groups of women sitting together, they're usually facing one another. Yep. Uh, in terms of their communication and conversation. And I think that's very, very telling. All behavior is information. And so from that perspective, I think that women are, you know, we're nurturers, we are, um, we, we kind of lean on each other for support in kinds of ways. And I think that's sort of the messaging in, in male culture, again, is very much, you know, of, being the provider and needing to kind of be a little bit of an island to bear the burden of whatever it is that you're you know so i just love the idea of what you're doing um and i'm really excited about um you know all the kind of really interesting projects that you have coming up so we're kind of running out of time but i wanted to give you an opportunity uh any final thoughts that you would like to share
1: um, you know, normally when I'm asked that question, I, I kind of just brush it off and just like, you know, like end it. But, um, I, I I think, um, I think after the events of Buffalo, um, my, 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 my thought process around where we are as a community abroad, um, and, and, and a society, um, is, is in a really, um... Interesting place, you know, and I, I, I think now more than ever, um, we we really have to choose um, to be kind to one another, um, because like like Dave Chappelle said in his eight forty six special at the end of it, um, I, I I really do think our, our chances um, to to get this um, civil discourse and civility right is, is running out, you know. I think um, I, I think if we're not careful. Um, we, we, we can end up in a very dark place and, and I'm, I'm hopeful um, that, that we will choose humanity and we, we will choose love and we will choose um, community over um, um, individualism, over patriotism and really understand that black, white, um, Latino, whatever, um, that we are each other's um, countrymen and countrywomen. And our greatest resource is not our politicians, it's not our money, it's one another. And I, I really hope uh, we lean into the idea that no one is coming to save us um, except ourselves if we choose to step into that truth. Um, so you know, I I, I am I am um, very much um, with a heavy heart um, because of what happened in Buffalo, but um, I, I'm hopeful that we will rise to the occasion and. And, and, really, and really understand that these things that we're fighting and bickering over are just nonsense. Um, and, and the only way forward is, is, is together. And, you know, I hope we can get it right um, while we still have time.
0: Chaz, those are very poignant and, and uh, important words. Thank you so much for sharing. And that has been great to talk to you today. And I hope you'll come back at some point.
1: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Again, thank you all for having me.
0: Thank you. Take care. You too. Bye-bye. It's been a great conversation here on the Thrive Building Resilient Families podcast. We hope you were able to listen a little, learn a lot, and leave with a better understanding of this important topic. You can follow Austin Child Guidance Center on Twitter and Instagram at ATX Child Guide and Facebook at Austin Child Guidance Center to stay updated with this podcast and other resources. We'll be back in two weeks with a new episode, so stay tuned. Thank you for listening and thank you for prioritizing the mental health needs of your family. See you next time.